Hello, and welcome to the Better Relationship Podcast. I'm your host, Dolphin Casper, and I'll be exploring exciting and interesting conversations with people who have solutions, stories, and expertise to help you in your journey towards richer and more meaningful relationships. Stay tuned. Ian, Asha, thank you for taking the time to join me. Uh, I know uh, I'm looking forward to the conversation. Uh, people that are tuning in are uh, excited to hear what we're going to get into. Most recently, we saw each other here in Edmonton, where I'm based. Uh, you did a screening of The Village of Lovers. It was the first time I got a chance to see the film. And I know the two of you have just lots and lots going on individually and, and together. And, and we want to get into all of it. But uh, maybe we can start with, uh, the, Ian, for you, in terms of the film, just because that's uh, the sort of the, the piece that, that's most alive in my mind. What does it feel like to be screening the film? I know you have some plans for it. Uh, tell me a little bit about what that feels like. I know we can get into sort of the building of the project as well, but as you screen, what what have you noticed and what has that experience been like for you? And Ash, I know you're you're also there and have been sort of behind the scenes in support of the project in, in your way as well. So let's start there and, and see where we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks, Dolphin. Well, this film is the culmination of eight years of effort, which if I had known that at the beginning, I may not have started. But, uh, you know, it's a mysterious um, unfolding somehow that I connected with another filmmaker, John Wollstone, uh, and then eventually Julia Marianska as a third filmmaker in this the triad. And then, um, yeah, we just followed the thread of trying to make a film about this radical research project, Tamara in Portugal, and uh, their approach to really, uh, I call it a different cultural paradigm of relationships, love, political activism, uh, Eros as a life force energy. And um, going there was really like visiting another planet, you know, for the first time back in 2015. Um, and there's lots that, you know, I could share about that. And eventually uh, on the fourth visit uh, to complete the film production side, Asha joined me as well as our son, Oren, who was only about six months, I think at the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, so he's a graduate as well of the Love School, which is what we attended. But I think for the listener, if uh, they've never heard of Tamara, um, really it's a it's a forty year project that has was really has tried to create an alternative to the way it is, like a functional model of what does it take to regenerate trust in community, and how might that provide a blueprint for others to apply their research and in practices and this and that uh, to really inspire a global system change. You know, a small small vision. Uh, as far as the film itself. And the tour, yeah, we kicked off the tour back in February in uh, the Comox Valley, which is where Ash and I uh, lived for about a year up until last year. And uh, since then, it's been touring many, many places, uh, Vancouver, Victoria, uh, England, Germany, Australia. Like we've done a number of screenings ourselves in person, but then empowered others to also hold screenings. It's been festivals around the world. So I'd say overall, I mean, it's satisfying to spend that much time on anything and have it finally be released to the world and the intent of the film and this is where i'd be curious to hear from you too on, on receiving it is that it's a very complex topic to try to make a film about a 200 person community and you know a vast amount of research and at the same time we really didn't want to overload it with technicalities and you know it wasn't a journalistic hard-hitting you know um this is the good and like this is the ugly like it wasn't a wild wild country scenario necessarily but we tried to show really um, this sort of heart of these folks that have really cared for this long about trying to create a true alternative. And uh, and hopefully that's what came through in the transmission. 
uh, of that uh, film as well. So that's an overview, you know, this moment. And um, yeah, maybe over to you. Yeah, well, I, I I just have always appreciated your work and, and the film didn't disappoint. Um, there's lots I think we can get into. What I'm curious about, and I will respond to your question and just in terms of how it was for me to, to experience the film for the first time. Asha, you know, I'd love to hear from you around what it was like watching it be built, watching the project come together, um, spending time in Portugal. Uh, yeah, tell me a little bit about how that was for you and anything that sticks out for you that that comes through in the film or maybe something that didn't get captured in the film. Yeah, thank you. It's been incredible and profound to be on uh, the witnessing side of things and see, like be immersed in the research. Um, I met Ian and shortly as we began dating, there was this uh, eight person immersion that I got to participate in uh, two of the other filmmakers and their collective home that Ian was living in at the time. They were all a part of this experiment of forum that's practiced at Tamara and these these concepts around love and relationship and and how to build trust. So um, yeah, it was it was a transmission that right away I was like, this is what I've been looking for and building relationship and intimacy with so many and um, techniques that actually enabled us to to move this kind of energy. And um, and I remember a circle of, of the eight of us together and um, both my my son's spirit and another woman's daughter's spirit, I think the babies kind of were listening because <laughs> felt like shortly after we both became pregnant. And it's been uh, this overarching of um, Oren being like a, a healing biotope baby. And Tamara calls themselves a healing biotope. And it felt like a, a trust that I had that we were on this shared mission of building community and building something along the lines of what Tamara has done. And, um, and in that it's been radical research together in community building and um, also navigating the, the hormones of my body changing um, and just learning what it is that, what it is to not have the structures in place already like Tamara does and has been uh, working with for 40 years, like Ian said, and for us to be pioneering certain ways of consciousness, especially as new parents. And um, yeah, it's been uh, some of the most profoundly difficult things I've ever navigated in my life, for sure, and super taxing on Ian and I's relationship, and also really deeply solidifying. And um, yeah, lots more to share around that. But I think uh, I've been really grateful to be uh, a voice of the nervous system as well on um, what Ian and his team have been sharing and, you know, just hearing about it and um, getting to be a part of it from from the concentric circle. Oh. I, I thank you. The beautiful sharing. I think people in general, especially in Western culture, I think at a really young age, we look around and we go, what's going on here? Like this, this doesn't quite feel right. Um, and, and I think what I'm talking about is, is the sense of the things that actually matter most in life, the things that most deeply nourish us 
seem to have kind of fallen away. These things are no longer priorities and they've been replaced with, with what I would describe as just very kind of consumption-based, superficial, two-dimensional distractions and, and, and things that we, and we work so, so hard to try to create a life that when we really reflect isn't even the life we want. And while I was sitting and watching the film, I noticed the parts of me that feel dissatisfied, that feel too busy and too consumed with things that when I'm really honest, don't matter very much to me. And then to be able to watch people who are who are digging in and diving into the world of community and relationship and saying, this comes first, you know, community and relationship. Actually, if we're going to build something that means anything, that has to be at the heart of it, like healthy, sustainable, vibrant relationships and, and healthy, sustainable, vibrant community. And, and, you know, I think the film does a really beautiful job of showing what that can look like. And I think that's what they're doing there. They're saying, this is what it can look like. And I think they're very honest. A conversation with you, Ian, where you mentioned, you know, they wanted you to kind of include more of the, 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 the negative stuff or more of the hard stuff, more of the, the, the crunchy, prickly details that, that are about what day-to-day -day life is, um, which first I just love and appreciate that kind of transparency. But, you know, as we start to look at what, what community of that sort could look like for us as human beings, without a model, I think we're totally lost. But even, and this is something you also said, both of you said this when we were hanging out on, here in Edmonton, is just because there's a model over there doesn't mean you can copy paste. So maybe the two of you could share a little bit with me about what you see as like, what do they have there that's like, that's really it? That, that would be kind of transplantable? And what are the challenges of bringing something like what they're doing in Tamara to communities that don't have the same geography, the same culture, the same resources, right? Like, so there's, there's some bridging that needs to happen in terms of a flexible enough model where we can start to proliferate it through the communities that want to bring it into being. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Thanks. I mean, this is the, this is the benefit of trying and failing and trialing, trying and failing and uh, the iterations that we've undergone over the years as well, experimenting with a lot of these elements. And maybe just to say up front that, so Tamara generally is known as a free love community. They, although they don't call themselves that they, they call themselves uh, trying to cultivate love free from fear, but it's another way of saying how to create conditions where people can be authentic um, and are held within a, a vessel of solidarity amongst the genders and within the community itself. And so there's no particular bias per se of like um, one way to do relationship, although they do it, they do it transparently amongst others and practices like forum and things we could, we could talk about later. And so that's important up front because um, we differentiate between uh, Western polyamory communities or like alternative relation, relationship communities often because um, it, it can be too easy to say, oh, so, you know, we're doing what Tamara is doing, right? Because we're trying to live alternative, you know, lifestyles and relationship. And I'll just say that um, big learning has been, it's very hard to live certain liberated ways when you don't have that consistent group of people that are committed to each other over time. So that's like a major piece that um, a lot of people don't understand in the translation. So that's one. And then the second is that, you know, they, I, I would say that, yeah, there's deep research on like trauma informed, you know, attachment theory and all these ways in which, um, you know, there's, there's lofty idealism with how people can relate. And yet then there's the somatic layer, which feels really, um, 
unavoidable to tend. And that's another piece where for Asha and I, like trying to live certain ways of like exploration, especially being new parents, especially building trust um, in a newish relationship while being radical with a lot of uh, practices. It's been quite a journey that um, you can, I can see why, again, it's like you really have to move at the pace of trust, which is a, a term that Adrienne Marie Brown uses in her work, Emergent Strategy, although Tamara um, in some ways would align with and in some ways are, are radically beyond that in that they're, they're really tried to upend, you know, back in the early days, everything that they sort of took for granted around relationships and, and community and love and partnership. And so that recipe now, for example, isn't necessarily the way to begin. So I'll just say that up front too, that couple, uh, relationships or, or communities that are like, yeah, let's be the free love thing. Um, it's just very uh, chaotic and unwieldy often to introduce that kind of energy when there needs to be a certain degree of like foundational solidarity and, and commitment among the participants um, to then begin doing this deeper kind of work to unfold again at the pace of trust. So that's like a few layers and I'd be curious what Asha might have to say. Yeah. Yeah. I think culturally there's so much that's different from uh, a group of Germans coming out of the hippie movement that are also healing uh, from what went on in Germany that's so painful. And, you know, they're, they're really deeply, passionately looking to shift the culture that they recognized as broken over there. And um, I think, yeah, Canadians have a very different set of spirit work of ancestral trauma to be navigating and healing from. And um, also as a lot of us as settlers, where we are on indigenous land to learn to to be in right relationship with the land here is is a first step i think for a lot of people just to learn how to be in good relationship with the life here and i think the free love concepts can in some ways really hinder if people aren't actually really rooting to, in the land and um Tamara is really beautiful with the concepts of the goddess, the goddess springs that they have. Um, they have a love temple. They really honor sacred sexuality. They have a wise women's council, a council of elders. They sit in circle in a really beautiful way. Um, they have women's circles and men's circles. Uh, so these core structural components feel like what I've been learning to orient to as essential for us to develop skills in. Um, before we play with fire in radical ways, like, you know, like Eros can really damage and damage communities if it's not held properly. And we've definitely experienced a lot of bridges broken in our relationship as well. And, uh, and it's devastating because the core is wanting to build relationship and intimacy and community. So I think we've been humbled in ways of, of learning perhaps what needs to come first. And um, yeah, one core piece I think is that people are living on land together is a way of learning how to build a shared cohesive vision. And even that is a very difficult thing to learn what is the vision that we're pointing at together. And um, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a long journey of learning but I think, yeah, that initial point of contact with the land and tending the land is um, 
what I see we're, we're aimed towards, like gardening, shared gardening, um, having lots of water on the land that I currently live on, like building aquifers so that the water is retained and we know where our water is. That's something Tamara's done as well and is translatable where we are. Yeah, this may be a good place just to bridge, lastly, the, the element of eros and love. So Tamara's understanding of the intelligence of water and the way water wants to move and how it nourishes a landscape when it's well uh, cultivated and, and harvested, right, is the same way that they understand eros and human relationship and how to nourish the human landscape as well. And so that's like they have the love temple and they've got love spaces on the property and ways of moving stuck energy um, as a way to expand the idea of eros only as sexual energy, but actually life energy. And how do we nourish an entire community with that understanding? And for anyone that's listening that doesn't have a really kind of salient, well-worked-out idea of what eros is, can you speak a bit more about that? Mm -hmm. uh, maybe I'll add Tamara's understanding, and then Ash has also been deep in this research as well. Uh, Tamara's understanding is that it's I mean, it's one way to call it is just primordial energy of life, right? Like the the thing that the energy that animates the cosmos, really. Uh, Sabine Lichtenfels, the co-founder of the community, she said that all of life is an erotic encounter, and so from that sense, there's this recognition to expand it beyond sexuality. That that's one way humans partake in erotic energy, but that it's a very narrow band of expression, and that through cultivating a degree of openness and um, a kind of alignment with this energy, of course, then we can uh, be in tandem with it rather than against it. And it's it's no it's no strong leap to then see how the dominant culture, like you named as well, is in some ways parasitic upon eros and life energy, right? The way that our tensions get sucked into smartphones and Netflix and you know distractions and and it sort of powers this consumer based society is one way of understanding that, that in some ways that culture feeds off arrows in unhealthy ways, as opposed to a, a culture that aligns with arrows in partnership with life itself. Yeah. I would speak to it as well from my experience um, with Breathwave, which cultivates this microcosmic orbit uh, inside this, or in, a, in an embodied way, we have this channel, the central channel, which is also the channel of our nervous system, uh, like where we can become centered. In yoga, they call it the Shishumna channel. And I think of Eros as Kundalini energy as well, or creative life energy, Holy Spirit, you know, coming from the Christian context or Gnostic traditions. Um, and yeah, to not sexualize it, I think the Western context of that it's only sexual really keeps it in the low chakras. And um, my journey with um, the practices that I've taken on is how to open and clear the channel so that the kundalini, the eros energy can be worked with as devotional, like in reverence and in a healing way so it can actually move any of the stagnant energy in our own bodies up to the heart and ignite it. And um, there's reference to the the Christ consciousness or the christening of the heart. And in my experience with kundalini dance journeys, once the kundalini or the eros is raised up to the heart, it stays at the heart and the heart fire is ignited. And um, Yeshua and Mary Magdalene speak of this in the Emerald Tablets. And it brings in this like haloed, um, 
aspect you see there's lots of different saints that have this haloed um, depicted picture and yeah so for me that's what I like to envision it as this christening of the heart and I can feel that ignition and I feel when I'm lit up but for me and for these practices of kundalini dance and tantric yoga it comes from the open root being grounded to the earth and it comes from the center of our earth and if we're specifically only trying to get it from humans it's this horizontal parallel of energy and it can get very tangled and to get back into this vertical axis point is um, is the pillar that really anchors us into our our sacred essence into our divinity um so eros is so beautiful for that and um yeah thank you yeah as you're speaking i can just relate to when someone has joy in their heart and kind of light in their face that's what i hear you pointing to is like that's sort of the consequence of someone who's connected to and is moving in an alignment with with the earth and with eros and with this life energy and um i see it i think we mostly see it in children uh, in terms of frequency like that's that's it's a bit of a default like the children are just in it and 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 expressing it and then you know maybe in particular here in the west and and i would say even particularly here in canada there's a kind of sort of subtle or not so subtle stifling of that energy. Like it's, it's maybe too inappropriate or too uh, provocative or like we want to be nice to everybody. And, you know, this kindness is a thing, but, but the niceness, the like, Oh, I, this is one that maybe we can get into is this early wound where our full expression, where we're made wrong for it, or we're made to feel ashamed or we're told it's bad or that we need to quote unquote behave and and that I, I think almost all Canadian Western people grow up with some kind of authenticity wound. It's like, oh, my true self, my true expression, the way I really want to be here, the way I really want this energy in my body and in my heart to come through is not acceptable. And and then now what? What do I do with this space that doesn't feel safe, inviting or or maybe ideally celebrating of this life energy that I have? So I'm wondering if you two could speak a little bit to how that, what I just framed, sort of lands for you and, and what role do, do we have in community to create those safe spaces so that we can get back in touch with that kind of authenticity? Beautiful. I mean, I can share some examples. One of, so I, would, I do a fair degree of men's work and hold men's circle as well. And one of the things that came through or often comes through is uh, men will express right not having the space to 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 share what's actually going on to to express you know feelings of grief or deep sadness um but at the same time i asked a question in the group i said well when was the last time you allowed yourself the fullness of joy just you know being on the street you know walking down the street because i found i i as well if i'm walking down the street and i think of some joyful thought or experience i had i often automatically kind of hide that as well which is really bizarre to notice, right? Like how that can actually feel vulnerable to be joyful out in public. And uh, and I guess there's maybe the undercurrent fear, right? Of like, oh, what's, what's this weirdo doing? Or even though probably most people would be kind of like, oh, delighted, you know? But uh, but that internal system that's like, no, 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 keep it down, you know, kind of keep it keep it in a certain range. And that's the reality, I think, for, for a lot of folk. I mean, of course, not just men, but 
what I recognize is without the intentional spaces to hold these this kind of polarities, that it's not it's certainly not automatic for folks to feel like they can be received right when they express that. I mean, if you go to a friend and you're just in debilitating sadness, you know, depending on the context uh, or the friend or the moment, they might say, you know, wow, I can't really hold this, right? Like you might feel rejected or they might say, oh, too oversharing or uh, there's ways in which it is a lot to ask, right, of, of a friend or maybe sometimes a family member. Um, and I like to call it the lair. There's the surface lair in society, right, where we, we sort of, you know, you go to the bank or you go to the grocery store and it's, you know, do you want to pay for plastic or whatever? There's a certain layer that you have to be able to operate on generally, right, day to day. Um, and then there's the like the deep foundational layer of oneness and we're all one and, you know, everything is all connected. But then there's that middle layer of all that other stuff that you know, often, again, doesn't have space and it'll come out sideways or will come out in like passive aggressiveness or all that stuff. Right. And people really feel, I think, uh, a lack of spaces to liberate that energy without being judged, without being ashamed uh, or create consequence. So I'll just say Tamara uh, understands this deeply and the practice of forum is one way in which they create circle where you're uh, liberated to be able to uh, share that fullest expression, right? So it could be, yeah, it could be heavy judgment of another. It could be your own internal shame. It could be joy, but they hold it in a circle that is, it disperses the energy um, to, to the whole group um, that can hold intensity, right? In a way that the general, you know, one-on-one kind of thing can't. But it also builds trust because then you're actually aware of somebody's process, right? You're like, why is that person such a jerk all the time? And then they, they, you know, are invited to speak what's going on. And oftentimes you're like, oh, okay. And you, compassion can often come from that, from see, witnessing another's transparency or their vulnerability. So again, it's in the architecture though, um, which is so vital rather than leaving it to spontaneous moments of, uh, you know, re- revelation. But I'm sure Asha has some more to say. Mm-hmm. A lot of us in our journey of development, especially sexual maturity, as we've opened up that chapter in ourselves and had our first sexual experience, we've often had to hide it. And there hasn't been anyone around to share, especially not adults. It's often been something that's been seen as like, you're not supposed to, you've done something wrong. I know that personally, and I know for so many, that's an experience that we've had. And and if sexuality can't be celebrated in our culture, especially in our own families, then we're developing the shame um, that's living in our body around how we can be authentic with this energy and how we can really express ourselves. And uh, something so beautifully healing from Tamara um, and There's an example in the film, The Village of Lovers, that that shows a woman that has been raised at Tamara, and she gets to experience her first time. She first checks in with the wise women, and, you know, they're excited for her, and they help her orchestrate this experience that is exactly what she wants it to be, and she brings the community in and she wants to be witnessed. She wants it to be an experience where there's poetry and music and love declarations from many around and, and just this feeling of a container of her people, a a sense of belonging. And then her and her 
partner go off and have their encounter and return and her people are there and witness her and celebrate her and are whole, holding it with no shaming energy. And this this particular piece is so beautifully healing to feel that someone has had that. And, and I hope that many, many people have had experiences that they feel really celebrated and honored in, in that initiatory journey. But um, for many of us, we're now learning how to heal that particular wound in sexuality. And for future generations that don't have a, a wound to heal, there's just more free-flowing energy um, naturally to um, allow this river of life energy. Good. Yeah, I, I love that story. I love that part of the film. Uh, it felt really clear to me how uh, inspiring and exciting and nourishing an initial sexual experience can be. And as you say, I think for most people, it's not fully that. And uh, for many of the reasons that you just framed. And it just brings me to a piece around, you know, to get there. I think a lot of us want this, this life of more openness, of more transparency, of more authenticity, more joy, more connection. Like, of course, like, yes, sign me up. And I think a piece that that we may not be aware of or we're very much aware of if we started to do our, our personal work is that it brings up this idea that I often share, which is that, that joy and pain run along the same channels in us. And, and to the degree to which we want that kind of openness and that we want that kind of joy, there's also a lot of unprocessed pain and grief that will naturally come through as we open those channels up. And, and I think that's what they were willing and able to do in, um, in Tamara and I'll just frame a piece that you talked about at the beginning here, Asha, which is, you know, the, the the founders of that community were coming out of a cultural context of the Holocaust and the Second World War. And they were deeply and, and strongly motivated to say, no, like, that's not the world that we want to live in. And, and we're willing to sacrifice whatever that kind of current trajectory of our life is or was in the interest of creating something that's fundamentally different than that. And, and I think at this point, in a certain way, our attachment to comfort and, and our attachment to status quo is a kind of barrier to this kind of community because we're, our, our lives and the way our day-to-day -day goes is so woven into a culture that, that isn't really designed to allow love and joy and eros to flow freely. So I'm kind of laying out a bit of a challenge for anyone that's listening that, that goes, I, I want a little bit more of that or, or I want to throw my life in, you know, into the garbage can and start from scratch. Like I'm, I'm laying out like some of the challenges that are there and I'd love to hear from both of you around your experience with those challenges and what are the solutions that you've come to that you currently think are, are important for us, for anyone that's leaning in or gravitating towards a paradigm shift or, or a desire to grow a different kind of community. Yeah, thanks, Dalvin. Um, well, one thing that most, I think, will recognize pretty quickly stepping into this effort or this work is that it's very difficult. And uh, and there's a reason why it's difficult. And uh, one of the principal ones is because it's stepping into a, a very different paradigm of how power moves. Because 
you quickly realize actually that like there is a benefit to living in a culture where a lot of relationships are mediated through economic power, right? So just the ability to go to a grocery store, let's say, right, buy a banana, you know, and trade some coin or, or swipe a digital, you know, piece of plastic and walk away um, is basically, it's like saying, after this moment, we don't have a relationship, right? It's And that's kind of magic, actually, when you think about it, right? Because in the past, you would have had to have, you know, a time in with someone and kind of negotiate in a way. I don't mean barter, but I just mean there's a relational matrix of skill within that paradigm. And the more and more that uh, most of our relationships are mediated by economic transaction, this is something that Charles Eisenstein uh, noted, of course, many years ago when I first started uh, collaborating with him as well. Sacred Economics covers this. And so when we step more into community, all of a sudden we're confronted with our often limitations of how to actually be a communal being because it requires a, a like again a different skill set a very different skill set of like emotional intelligence and the willingness to sit in things like counsel and like there's there's um you relinquish a kind of power over paradigm uh which often at least in the outset is very difficult and very uncomfortable and um, a lot of people will step into this kind of thing and then retreat because they're like, whoa, that's way too much effort, right? It's far, far easier to live in a way where you can, you know, you want to buy and sell your home. Great. You know, get a real estate agent, you know, put it on the market, whatever it is. But uh, when you're living in village or you have a relational existence with other people and you're in many ways become economically bound in some fashion, or at least the, you, their, cons their consequence of any kind of big decision also accrues to them. Then all of a sudden, again, you're you're in this village-minded matrix, and uh, and again, in the short term at least, it's generally going to be pretty difficult because you're actually relearning a kind of ancestral skill, uh, and it requires you to uh, be confronted generally over and over again with your own issues, your own shadows, your own uh, ways of wanting things certain ways, right, and 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 ways not, and so. A lot of people, again, naively will say, oh, I love community. I want to be in community. I want to, you know, be in that uh, joy. I want to, you know, all that stuff. And then all of a sudden they don't realize, oh, wait, that means I have to be known or I have to be willing to be known. And that means I'm going to be confronted over and over again through a tempering process that, again, without the longer term commitment that people make to each other and a shared vision, it's very easy to, you know, get in, burn out. And then again, like I said, retreat because the labor is hard. And if you can't see the, what's on the other side of it, like if you haven't been in a beautiful permaculture garden, you know, a decade or two in its lush flourishing, and you're just looking at a piece of dirt, you know, on the ground and you're like, wait, why does this matter? Uh, it can be difficult to make the case. So I'm making the case, but I'm saying upfront, it's going to be tough. Yeah. I love Tamara's work for that sake of having this flourishing garden as a blueprint to look to that they have achieved something. Uh, yeah. Especially as someone um, that is white, you know, it, it's more possible for me to look to, to them instead of indigenous people around the world that I didn't quite, I wasn't able to like tap into the frequency as much as, as a possibility for me. Um, and yeah, the challenge in this time, echoing what Ian is saying, uh, a lot of those relationships that we're uh, faced with, it's like an acceleration of our evolution to be, um, 
to be in relationship and just partnership, we we're moving through those mirrors in a way that our nervous systems just as two people can handle and often can't. And there's, you know, often a lot of avoidance and distractions that people can just get comfortably distant in that way. Um, but in a village, there's so many opportunities to be faced with something. Uh, so I would say it's so important to get really organized and to develop the structures that able the authentic um, aspects to be tended to, um, circles that actually can move the energy. And um, practices like council are great. Women's circles and men's circles are core. Um, Tamara talks about the women's circles as the feminine source for women to be able to tap into this wellspring and to be nourished from that place. And I love that and have been honing that in my life. Um, and yeah, women weave this web in community that um, creates coherence or creates competition. And I think men do the same in their own way. And um, so those are core aspects if we can build trust and solidarity there. And, and yet that is work. That is um, the ability to feel the discomfort and breathe through it and regulate our nervous systems. Um, and um, yeah, breath work has been a core component of that for me to really circulate energy quickly and get out of the stories and in the mental matrix and to just let the discomfort in and feel it and clear it. And yeah, these places for authenticity are such a core component as well, like forum, for example, because it moves energy a lot faster than if we're sitting in circle, um, so that there isn't wedges that develop between people. Because I, I think that can really be such a reason for people to leave if they don't feel like they're heard or seen uh, or their experience honored. So, yeah. 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 And, I, you know, sometimes there's major happenings in community that, that really set things back or, or, or things get kind of broken apart or dispersed. But often it's a it's you know death by a thousand cuts it's it's no one big thing but just all of these little places where the the kind of the kind of internal cost benefit analysis starts to go out of whack and then we start to ask ourselves like what what am i doing here like why why all of this struggle and and all of this suffering and it's what you said ian it's what you said asha it's also what one of the gentlemen that came to the screening here in edmonton said he's like you know you can have a great system you can have all these nice ideas but if you don't have a deeply compelling reason to come together and, and live community, you're going to get to a, a part of the journey where you go, this is too much. I'm, I'm out of here. Um, and, and that's tough. And then it brings me to this modern culture where we can just, we don't need each other. You know, this is very much from Charles Eisenstein's uh, work and his words. You know, what happens when we don't need each other? And, and what happens to the cohesion, the, the inherent sort of survival cohesion of, of relationships from an evolutionary perspective, when that's not there, then the difficulties of relationships start to seem untenable. They start to, in, in our internal math, we start to go, well, this doesn't balance. And so, you know, I think that's one piece. And maybe you two could share this. There's, there's somewhere I want to go. But, but initially, I'd love to hear from the two of you around how do we help ourselves in a modern culture and a modern Western culture where we've we've grown up in an environment where we haven't needed each other in the way that we have for almost all of our evolutionary history. 
and then the, you know, the impact of that, but then how do we reignite that flame? Like a different kind of fire. It's not the fire of survival, at least not right now. Um, but what's the fire that can bring us together in that way again? Mm-hmm. Well, this is the million dollar question. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I think that, and again, the, the nuance there to the listener says, you know, we don't need, we don't need each other. It, the nuance would be, we do need each other. It's just that we can pay others to do things for us, right? Mm-hmm. We sort of mediate the relationships by uh, economic transactions. And so um, that creates an inherent distance from meaningful connection from other people. And then we, of course, are sold pseudo benefits like, um, I don't know, big TVs or, you know, Netflix or whatever, these ways of trying, you know, feeling connected when of course they're not, they don't really satisfy that deeper place. And so, yeah, it's this question, right? How do, how do you ignite that recognition of wanting to, and, and being in service to a different way that actually nourishes that deeper part that is actually yearning to be met. And, uh, I mean, I can just speak, you know, from my experience, I mean, it was grappling a lot with, um, an initial sense of the despair, right? Like I read about peak oil in like 99 and that was like, what civilization is going to end. And, you know, this whole kind of, uh, uh, grief mixed with wake up of, wait, I have to do something like I have to participate somehow. And I think a lot of people who, who quote, get activated, right. There's some kind of experience that, you know, awakens them or tips them over the edge or gives them the reason, because I also look to friends that are living comfortable lives and, and many, and many ways struggling in different ways too. And I just wonder like, what's it going to take, you know, what's it, what's it going to take to get in, you know, to, to, to understand that you're needed, that, um, there's gifts that you bring, you know, to participate in, you know, what John Macy was called, of course, the great turning, but it's just, uh, it's like all the alarm bells are going off, you know, all the time, uh, species are going extinct, you know, wars are happening. It's just, what's it going to take? So for me, at least in the film, what we've tried to do is essentially give that transmission, right? Give a taste of quote, how it could be right. Not as a utopia, but just like, what does it mean? Or what is how does it, ex- it to experience being with people in a deep, beautiful way in alignment with the land. And hopefully that reignites, right. Some kind of ancestral memory of possibility. Um, also folks, right. They touch that place in ceremony, right. Or they touch that place in, uh, you know, conscious connected breathing where they suddenly, you know, clear away the haze of modernity. And it's like, wait a second, this is what it means to be alive. This is why I'm here. Mm. So I think there's different ways in tributaries, right. To this, to that quote moment of, of awakening to a deeper sense of purpose. Um, and unfortunately it's not something that can be made to happen in a way, right. From an outside force per se. Um, but it can be catalyzed and often is by experiences outside of our existing paradigm. Beautifully said. (sighs) Yeah. Yeah. I think that the awakening happens through being cracked open in some way and that that is different for everyone and in my experiences it's been being cracked open by heartbreak and crumbling of my family and uh exile from the christian church and just this whole upheaval of what i thought i knew into that deep deep longing for healing for a culture that 
has a community intact, that has true medicine, that has deep love. But yeah, it's it's out of, out of lack. It's out of questioning everything. It's out of deep grief. Um, also out of complete outrage at the way things are. And can can we allow ourselves to really feel it? Um, Um, yeah i for me especially what you just said asha did this breaking and cracking of what i might call our kind of our sense of self and, and through that our sense of of meaning in life uh is such a quintessential experience like it's it's so broad it's cross-cultural it's 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 throughout time and, and generation. And what that says to me is that, you know, the breaking is is the overlay, but this underlying river or pulse of life, this this deepest meaning of life is all there. It's all there to be opened into, to be discovered. The cracking doesn't have to happen, but it's all it's often what's needed if we are attached to the current sort of way and trajectory of our lives. And I think there's a double-edged sword there. I think, wow, I, I have to I have to lean into this edge that feels like the death of me to really wake up to a new kind of life. Um, and sometimes life will do it kind of to us or for us. And then sometimes we can consciously choose it. But, but the heartening part of that double-edged sword for me is that this meaning that so many people are feeling disconnected from or, or or at odds with or that's out of reach it's like it's like your birthright it is there this meaning of your life is there it's coursing through your veins it's inspiring your heart to beat and and in that what's all that's really required is a an openness a willingness to be open to what's deeper than than the surface and and that can sound a little bit kind of you know, woo-woo, new age, esoteric, mumbo-jumbo. But but for me, it's just the truth of things that that we, we have access to this deeper meaning in our life that can recontextualize things. Um, and as, as you said, Ian, there's lots of tributaries. There's lots of access points. And, you know, breathwork has been mentioned. You know, going to somewhere like Tamara is an opportunity to touch into that. But even more practically, and I think more kind of mundane for all of us, I think we all have someone in our life that that is more of a trailblazer in that direction. And just to go, oh, I actually have people that that when I spend time with them, when I reach out, when we connect, I feel more connected to what's meaningful about my life. And and this is just sort of maybe an invitation to anyone that's listening is that if if you're not ready to move to Portugal, or, or to build, you know, a holistic community near where you live, you can just start the journey. You can start the process by leaning into those people, places, and things that you know reconnect you with with a deeper meaning for your life. And and I'd love to hear what the two of you have to say. And 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 then you know, I'd also like to introduce maybe a couple of more tools or or things that I think uh, that you think the people who are listening might benefit from. Yeah, pathways to wholeness. How can we find that space of connection within ourselves? And I think if we're tapped into a love and this place of being turned on by life, 
in essence, that like enlivened space within ourselves, we magnetize people that reflect that in us as well. And yeah, I love to start my day with breath. And for me, the breath is eros. It's life that is moving us. And we have an opportunity to participate in that consciously. So I'm the most passionate believer that if we can devote ourselves to becoming more present in our lives, working with our breath and and building sensation in our bodies, then ultimately we can become our own best friend, our own lover, and cultivate that circle of love around us even stronger. And, you know, the earth as our lover as well, and all of the creatures, like just going outside and putting our feet on the ground, being aware of the phase of the moon that we're in, the season that we're in. Can we honor the seasons even more by know bringing in pieces of pieces of the the earth you know and putting it on a nature table for example a little altar that just has a way of like bringing it closer bringing it inside um yeah the Waldorf school that our son's a part of they do that every season and really mark them and really celebrate them and this brings in ceremony and yeah working with the the revolution revolutions of the moon as well as a way to connect and um, really hold ourselves present with the earth and also with the energetics that the moon holds the ocean and the ocean lives inside of us so we're being pulled as well by the currents of the waxing and the waning and you know all of these things help me remember that I'm connected to something much greater than my very small human world and and it's good for me to be humbled like that I need that my ego needs that so (laughs) to remember um, the magnitude of the cosmos that hold us and uh, you know all of the trees and the animals that are here all of these ecosystems and mycelium that are holding the container that we get to be just one fraction of that we're in the circle of life together um yeah, it's important to remember that we're not just like on top. It's like all of these things help hold us. Um, Thank you. I might add, um, I mean, I, I came to this phrase and I don't know if it's something that Sabine from Tamara said, or at least at least it came forth from listening to the different offerings and lectures and, and the work, but that Eros has an intelligence. And so what that means is if one can tune in and listen to that voice or that intelligence, that it, it offers direction and guidance. And I don't mean lunging at desirable things or people, because that often can create lots of calamity, but just the attunement to that recognition, right, is, is information, right, is information or um, a kind of work that you're called to do or a kind of conversation that you're called to have, right, leaning into that those impulses with consciousness can provide an ongoing dynamic uh, map of unfolding of where life is trying to guide you. And I'll say that that runs all the way from the film itself, which I, you know, I'd been a filmmaker for many years at that point, but it was uh, life itself that brought John and I, the co-director together, um, following his own track. You know, he was like working in refugee camps and being like a clown with 
refugees. And then he heard about Tamara and, you know, he followed his way there. They told him about me, this filmmaker who was doing films about love and connected us. And just this ongoing unfolding that mysteriously, you know, this is where we are. So I trust that. I trust that intelligence of Eros when, when we have the space and the willingness to tune in. And then in terms of practical tools, I'll offer one. I think I came across this book. Uh, I think it's called The Illusion of Money by some fellow. I can't remember his name now, but yeah, in it, he just talks about, uh, I call it an erotic audit. Um, I don't think he calls it that, but the specific tool is to essentially make a list of all the things that you currently do. Uh, you know, write down as many as you can. you like, you know, I don't know, go for walks or chill with Netflix or have a drink and go through all the list and then give it a number, right? One to 10. Like how much energy do you get from that, from that act action, right? How much energy do you get from having a drink? How much energy do you get from spending a time with a friend? And then he, the way he encourages you is to basically anything under a seven, stop doing, <laughs> right? And, uh, as best you can, you know, it's not like puritanical, but it's like, look, all these things that you're doing in your habits, they're sapping energy, right? They're, they're not actually, uh, giving energy. They're, they're sort of taking energy, they're draining. So if you can do that erotic audit, even as a start to be like, what am I doing right now? That's draining my arrows, right? And what can I do to enliven and lean into the practices that give energy that, that in, invite me into more vitality and more life. And even that making it visible can be an important feedback loop to say, okay, you know, what can I lean in? What can I let go of to step further into this alignment with life? Yeah, I love that. And I can even see that being like a partner exercise where you, you can talk about how how you play together, or how you interact with one another and what are the things that, you know, bring you back to each other, bring you back to life, get you more, more, yeah, plugged in to that, that juice or that energy that that's underneath it all. Um, that's a beautiful, what did you call it? The erotic, uh, blue, no, the, the erotic audit, the erotic audit. I like that a lot. Um, lovely. Yeah. So we're, we're getting a little bit close to our time. I am wondering about, uh, the two of you sharing what you feel are some of the major, more personal relationship difficulties that arise if we're going to be closer to the people we're in community with. Um, what are the, the just predictable, oh, these things are going to come up and what have you found that's most effective in, in better navigating those things or most supportive? Do you like to go for it? <clears throat> well, um, it's interesting that, so what are the challenges coming into relationship with people and community basically? Yeah. Well, what are the things that are just so predictable, the things you saw in Tamara, things you see in your own relationship or the relationship with the people that you're in community with, um, just to kind of get a little bit more clarity for people around those pieces that they could probably go, oh yeah, that's me. And then what what helps you to get through? Well, I'll say, I mean, we, we were in a community home and uh, there was about eight of us for a time and the different, somewhat different constellation. There was a grandmother at one point, um, another mama and her baby. And uh, it was just interesting that I, I believe I tracked um, and experienced a sense of like a whole family constellation would develop through people who are not blood related, but that any issues, you know, like you would have with uh, one would have with their dad, you know, I kind of became a dad, Asher was a mom figure. And there was this kind of unconscious projections that began happening. And I'm, you know, I'm sure we were doing it to others too, but uh, that can happen where again, like if you don't have enough of a sense of your own um, 
your own shadow or your own legacy of your own family dynamics, those will definitely show up in community in different ways. And so this is also where this recognition of ongoing self-work is pretty vital because if you don't think you have issues, I mean, you definitely have issues, right? And uh, it just means that everybody, everybody else is maybe trying to, to let you know, but uh, if you're oblivious, you know, you're not really a communitarian being as well. Cause this is where I also say that you have to be able to receive feedback, right? Um, and if you can't receive feedback well in community, and again, feedback that's delivered with consciousness, then you're not suitable, I believe, for community. Actually, like, because you, you need to probably go on your own journey first to actually go through a matur maturation process to then be able to be with that because it's vitally important in a matrix of relationship that you be able to hear how you impact other people, right? And that you move as a communitarian organism. So it's not just, uh, you know, I want to do something, so I do it. This is Tamara's deep understanding of contact, right, as a, as a way of being. Where it's like it's a mysterious but ongoing way to, with each other where you you sort of you, you have a consciousness of okay if i do this thing what's the consequence to other people what's the consequence to the land or what's the consequence to the organism as a whole and again if you can't move like that or are unwilling to again you're just you're generally creating a lot of problems for other people uh and not understanding yourself as consequential so this is where I say the discomfort comes in when you you begin to recognize all the ways in which uh, maybe you've been avoiding, uh, all the ways in which you might um, not want to lean into repair processes of repair, uh, which are important. And that skill set absolutely needs to be in community because it's one thing to get along for a while. And then when it falls apart in some way, if you can't repair, that's when it just the resentments build, the wedges build up uh, and you lose that ability to fully to still attune right to that collective third of you all. So that's a snippet of a few things. You know, I'm curious what Asha might add. Yeah, I think there needs to be the ability to pattern interrupt as a group and, um, and also really have the spaces like a circle or immersive time together where you can really develop what the vision is together because if you're not pointed at the same things it's going to be dissonant um and yeah it's hard to like ian mentioned that sort of immersive experience of flocking they call it or being able to um really move with the group but a lot of us that are coming into community are breaking the norm or stepping out of that mainstream culture and to really find another group of people that we trust there there needs to be trust building practices and there needs to be clarity of what the group's overall consciousness is to see if we can attune to see if there's resonance so putting that time in is a lot of effort and it feels like a, a second full-time job it's it's just the reality of it and if you want that sort of thing it's so worth it it's so fulfilling um it really gives energy in our times where it's been done well and um, when it's not it's all consuming and is very difficult to regulate your nervous system in but that also is a fine-tuning process and i think it's important as pioneers of community building to to be up against these pieces 
and realize whatever you're up against is what you're meant to be facing for some kind of um, evolution within. Um, yeah, I think the challenges I've experienced is when there isn't an orientation to also have integration. And where we are now, I'm so grateful to be a part of a community that really advocates for breath work, work, specifically breath wave, and brings that in as, as an experience of how we all connect and we sit in circle and share our intentions and then do this deeper conscious connective breathing practice, move our energy, circulate what, what needs to move emotionally and come through more clear, having moved a lot of emotions together, um, you know, finding clarity and insight and then being able to share. And this has been uh, so such a relief to have um, because I think it's been a missing piece in many of our previous iterations of being able to take that time for our nervous systems to move through because so much gets stirred in community. So if there, if there's a way that there's an anchor point of that kind of regulation practice, whether it's just a morning meditation or perhaps shared movement space or yoga, any of these things to cultivate um, that ability to find center. Yeah, it's really important. Yeah, thank you. One thing I'll just throw in, and then I'd love to hear for people that are really enjoying the conversation and want more of you too, uh, then we'll get into how they can find you. Um, I think one of the conundrums of this movement and this this draw towards real, authentic, sustainable community is like leadership and eldership. You know, how do we create this when? It, we might look around and feel like there's an absence of that kind of eldership and leadership. And, and that might place us in a position where we have the energy, but we don't have the experience yet, but no one else is doing it. And so maybe I actually have to step in and be a leader where I'm maybe not yet mature. And, and you know, the way I see that is always we're just trying to do the best we can with what we have where we are. And, and that we do have this amazing capacity to learn and evolve and grow. And that if there are elders or leaders that you trust and can lean on, like lean on them. And if there aren't, then start. Start to build and, and trust that, that there's opportunity for the intelligence of Eros to kind of guide and support and inspire you. Um, yeah, I think we could have a whole other uh, episode talking about that, but uh, for another time... For those people, I know the bo- you both do work. You know, I know you're doing work with men. You have your uh, Mythic Masculine podcast. Ash, I know you're doing work with women and, and mothers. Um, f- anything you want to say about that work or where people can find you if they want more? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just to take on to your last bit there, just to say that I like this phrase that we're all elders in training. Mm-hmm. And um, at the same time, I mean, I spent many years with Stephen Jenkinson. As, uh, Ash has uh, been steeped in his work as well. And he he talks about this idea that you know we 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 can't just step into the seat of elderhood it, often it takes a lifetime right it takes a lifetime of approaching to fully understand and be tempered by what it means to actually serve that function um, at the same time we have to start where we are and often that's starting with the poverty of the time like the lack right so being able to keep that seat open and say look pro- properly so this is where the elders would be sitting among us 
and they're not in this moment, or maybe there there's only a few. And so by not rushing to fill the seat as well, right, and saying like, well, we we got it now, like holding a certain humility is is vital to say like, well, look, yeah, I haven't been tempered, I haven't grown up in an intact culture, I haven't yet. There's still a lot of work to be done, and hopefully in 10, 20, 30 years, when the youth are looking our direction and saying, okay, what do you got, right? You can answer that call because you've been willing to subject yourself to that tempering and to that that great spirit work um, of your time and your generation. So that's the the kind of calling forth for others to to be willing to do that work. Yeah, and if you're looking around and you don't see those elders, I also recommend keeping a seat open for your ancestors and perhaps feeding them in different ways, you know, making offerings for them, really building a relationship to your old ones that are are gone now and and ask for that kind of eldership as well and and I lift prayers that they they have a clear line of communication with you. Thanks, Asha. Yeah. In regards to the question around where to find, uh, certainly there's the film, go to thevillageoflovers.com. There's more information there. We have a, a major planetary release happening in February of 2024. We're building up to that. That'll be the first time anybody can go and see the film. But it'll also be a, a summit of a kind with speakers and special guests and things like that. Uh, as well as you mentioned, The Mythic Masculine. People can find that you know, in any podcast uh, platform, also themythicmasculine.com. And uh, for Asha and I, in collaboration, we do have an event coming up in April. Uh, it's called The Nature of Eros. In, uh, it'll be Massachusetts, actually. We're invited to go and teach there at a place called the Rowe Center. Um, but yeah, you can find details uh, in the nearest future. And Asha. Yeah, you can find my work at ashaRising.com. Um, with breath wave and counseling and women's dance journeys and circles, um, as well as my work in sacred activism, uh, standing in protection of the ancient forest, specifically in the Pachidat region here in BC. And that's uh, at mamasmovement.com. We have lots of films to educate yourself and lots of resources, as well as building right relationship with the indigenous people here on the land and really supporting those indigenous led movements. Awesome. Thank you. I'll make sure there's links in the description for the podcast. Uh, not enough time. Thank you both for being here and sharing your wisdom and your experience. It's been a pleasure. Those listening, thanks for being here. Until next time, friends, love well. Thank you so much for being here. You've been listening to the Better Relationship Podcast brought to you by RelationFlix. Please subscribe to the podcast and you can go and check us out at relationflix.com. We look forward to sharing so much more with you. And until next time, my friends, love well.